God.
Job chapter 1. And we will not read the whole chapter. I will uh, highlight verses as we go through this. Uh, but I will read Job chapter 1 and verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. How many in here remember New Year's Eve 2000? Come on, raise, raise these hands up high. New Year's Eve 2000. Some of y'all were just little children. But New Year's Eve 2000 probably was met with more anticipation than any New Year's in the history of our world. It was talked about for months leading up to that event. What made this anticipation so high? Because of all of the dire predictions that had been made in the preceding months. Well, what was the cause of these dire predictions? It, it was this little thing known as Y2K. Who remembers Y2K? What Y2K was a computer bug, if you would. Computer programming had always assumed one nine in front of a year. Well, starting on January the 1st of 2000, 1-9 could not be assumed any longer. It had to be the number 2-0. And the predictions of what would happen because the computer systems had not transitioned yet, well, the, those were some bad predictions. Let me tell you some of the predictions that were made. It's going to be a loss of electricity. There's going to be a shortage of food and water. Planes and trains were going to crash. Banks were going to lose all of their information. Widespread terrorism of poisoned water systems and bombs were going to take place. And some even said at the stroke of midnight, Christ was returning for his bride. You could not watch the news or read the newspapers without hearing all of these dire predictions. Well, now... The, the return of Christ was not a dire prediction. That could have been a great prediction. But all the rest of these were just dire predictions of how everything was going to just fall apart and everything was going to cease to be and we were going to enter a, an apocalypse and there were people who were saying, I don't want to be flying at the stroke of midnight because that plane might crash. Well, on that New Year's Eve, Rhonda and I were parked in the police department parking lot in Landrum to provide emergency communication by ham radio if needed. The radio club I'm a part of in Spartanburg, we had people scattered all over Spartanburg County. They were at all the water plants. They were at all the police departments. They were at all the hospitals. We were scattered across the whole county in case everything fell apart. And we would be able to communicate by means of ham radio. 
So Rhonda and I spent a real exciting New Year's Eve sitting in the cab of a little Ford Ranger in the Landon Police Department parking lot waiting for it to happen. 12.30 we drove to the house and went to bed because it did not happen. And I think you realize 24 years later that it did not happen. Even though there were predictions made by scholars, predictions made by computer programmers, predictions made by our government, but predictions abounded from everywhere that it was going to be a horrible, horrible event. Well, those predictions <clears throat> and what happened simply reinforces the fact that we cannot know nor predict the future. They had studied this. They were all in agreement of what was going to happen. And at the stroke of midnight, nothing happened, but we went into another year. That was it. This morning, I want to talk to us about facing the future. Because we all, as long as we're living, will face the future. And we must understand by now that <clears throat> no matter how hard we try to predict the future, no matter how much we have studied about events, no matter how much we think we may know and understand, that we, we really do not know what the future holds. So how do we face this unknown future? Because the unknown future will eventually become what? The present. The future will become the present. So how do we prepare for that unknown future that will become the present? What in the world do we do? I think this chapter in Job helps us to understand as we look at three different relationships that we can find in this section of Scripture. Here are those three relationships. I'm just going to mention the three of them, then I'll go back and deal with each one. The relationship between our faith and the future, the relationship between our foe in the future, and the relationship between our Father in the future. As we understand these relationships and how each one is a part of dealing with the future, then we can be prepared for that unknown future. Number one is our faith in the future. <clears throat> Here's what I hope you know already. Faith does not keep us from trials. As we look at that unknown future, we've got to understand that just because we are believers does not mean we're going to be spared from anything. That those events that come will catch us also. It, we find that, number one, destruction of property in verses 14 through 17. In those verses of Scripture, we find that Job lost his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his servants, his camels. Job was probably the wealthiest man of the area. Job was well-respected. Job was one of the elders, one of the leaders. Job, Job had everything that a man could ever hope for. And in the blink of an eye, that faith did not keep him from losing all of his property. It was all gone. But not just the destruction of his property, but the death of his family in verses 18 and 19. 
The Bible says that his sons and daughters had gathered together and they were making merry and, and they were enjoying each other's company. They, they were having like a party and, and the Bible says the great wind blew through there and the house collapsed and killed every one of them. His faith did not keep his family from dying on that day. Not just the destruction of property and the death of family, but the disease of himself in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Uh, we, we know that the Bible says that, that Job was covered in great boils. And that Job sat in the dust and the sackcloth and ashes and had those great boils upon him and how he would take broken pottery and, and scrape himself with them because of the pain and the... I don't even know what all was going on with it, but he would scrape himself trying to get relief from it. His faith did not keep him from being diseased. And his faith did not keep his wife from speaking out against him. She said, why don't you just cuss God and die? She, she's like, I've had enough of you, Job. You're moping around, you're groaning, you're complaining. You're covered in bowls. You're sitting in the dirt. You're scraping yourself with the pieces of uh, pottery. Why don't you just cuss God and die and just go on and get out of here? That's a loving spouse, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, everybody should be blessed with a spouse like that. Job's faith did not keep him from any of that. Sadly, sometimes we think because of our faith that we're not going to face issues and problems and calamities. There are even those that you can follow if you want to worldwide that there's health, wealth, and uh, gospel that if you believe in Christ, your life is going to be full of roses and and you're going to get everything you want, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be well and healthy, and you're not going to lack for anything. I mean, you can have that Rolls Royce. You can have those three houses. You can have that private jet. I mean, you can just do whatever you want to. The health and wealth crowd says your faith will keep you from any problems. You know the issue with that? It's a lie. It is a big old fat lie. Start in the book of Genesis. Go through the book of Revelation. Look at the prophets. Look at Adam and Eve even in the garden. Look at the disciples. Look at the New Testament believers. You just go through all 66 books of the Bible. And you study the people of faith. And look at what they dealt with. And look at the horrible consequences that they often face because of their faith in Christ. And then tell me that our faith will put a hedge around us and nothing bad will ever happen to us. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. So faith does not keep us from trials, but faith does keep us through trials. You understand the difference? Faith does not keep us from the trials, but faith will keep us through the trials. As Job went through his trials, the, the loss of his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his servants and his camels, the, the loss of his children, 
the, the, the disease that overtook his body, the, the distraught uh, words of his wife, as he dealt with all of that, faith kept him through all of it. Look in verse 20. <clears throat> in verse 20, we find that faith will help us to recognize God's lordship. In verse 20, <clears throat> says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and did what? Worshipped. You, you got the picture? A man of great wealth and prestige. A man revered by the community. A man who had everything that you could ever hope for. In the blink of an eye, lost all of his property, most of his servants, and his own children. But instead of kicking his finger in God's face, instead of blaming God, Job fell to the ground and worshipped. He was recognizing God's lordship over him and over all creation. Not only did he recognize God's lordship, but in verse 21, he recognized God's ownership. Verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He recognized that everything that he had had, God had given him. All of those animals, all of those servants, his health, his welfare, his wife, all of that had been given to him by God. And for whatever reason that Job did not understand at all, the Lord has taken away. He recognized that everything belongs to God. We like to talk about what we own. We own our house. We own our vehicle. We own our clothes. We own whatever. And in the end, you know what we really own? Absolutely nothing. You, you may have a title to your vehicle. You may have a, a deed to your property. But in the blink of an eye, the government can say it's no longer yours. You don't own it. In the blink of an eye, somebody can come by and steal it. There are all kinds of scams that are taking place around the world of of people who own property that squatters come in and take over the property and they end up with the property even though it does not belong to them. They have no deed to it, but yet they get to claim it. So when we talk about what we own, we really don't own anything. And whatever we are able to be in charge of, it's all because God has allowed us to have that. And the same God who gave it, the same God who can take it. I'm, I'm sure you've heard this saying before. When a parent gets mad with their child, especially the mama, the mama looks at the child and said, I gave you life and I can take your life. That's, that's pretty mad with, with the child, right? But she's saying, I gave and I'll take. God says, I have given and I can take. 
doesn't mean that we like it. doesn't mean we agree with it. But Job here is just recognizing the ownership that God has. So the first relationship is our faith in the future. Faith will not keep us from trials and tribulations, but faith will keep us through these trials and tribulations. The second relationship is the relationship of our foe in the future. And our foe is not each other. That, that's the sad thing about America right now. We look at everybody else as being our enemy. Republicans look at Democrats as being their enemies. Democrats look at Republicans as being their enemies. The rich look at the poor as being their enemies. The poor look at the rich as being their enemies. And I mean, that list just goes on and on and on. The, the black look at the white. The white look at the black. The red look at the yellow. The yellow looks at the white. And, and it's just on and on and on that we think everybody is our enemy. That's not the enemy that Scripture speaks of. Our foe is Satan. Where do you think all this division comes from? It comes out of the pits of hell. It comes from Satan. Of course, he works through people. He works through organizations. But ultimately, those who disagree with me, they're not my enemy. That those who don't like me, they're not my enemy. They have been blinded and led astray by Satan and his intrusion into our world. So, so Job is dealing with his foe. And, and this relationship between our foe, Satan, and the future, what does it teach us? Well, in verse 7, it teaches us that he will pursue us. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. He was looking for someone to interfere with, to influence. He was looking for someone that he could lead astray. He was out walking up and down the earth looking for those people. Don't ever think because you're a believer that you're safe from Satan. You're saved from him. He can never take over your soul. But that does not mean that Satan will not afflict you, interfere with you, attack you, hurt you, do everything he can to discredit you. He, he is out searching and looking. The Bible says there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. None of us are so close to God that Satan leaves us alone. Job probably, possibly, was closer to God than we are. Job, who had been blessed by God. Job, who was the epitome of success in his community. Job, whom people revered. Job, whom worshipped and, and was so afraid his children were going to do something wrong that he was going to make sacrifice on their behalf. I, I mean, Job was the, the, the picture of faith. And Satan ended up on his doorstep. 
To think that we live close enough to God that Satan will not search us out is wrong theology. He will pursue us. But not just pursue us, but in verses 9 through 11, he will prosecute us. I mentioned this the other Sunday about Satan being the prosecutor like in a trial. Trying to bring charges against us. And listen to what he had to say to, to, to God. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? <clears throat> Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. Satan is, is prosecuting Job. He is bringing charges against Job to God, saying the only reason Job worships you and the only reason Job loves you is because you have blessed him. You remove that hedge of protection from around him and you let life get to him. He's going to just cuss you. Pretty strong prosecution. As Satan speaks to God about Job. Satan will prosecute us as well. To God, but Satan will lead somebody to start rumors on us. Anybody ever had rumors started on them? Anybody ever had lies told about them? Uh, yeah, and, and, and we blame the person who did it. But in reality, the source of it is Satan. Influencing them, directing them, that leads them to do that. He, he prosecutes us by means of other people. While I'm sure at the same time saying to God, look at Ken. Ken, Ken is a nothing. And I'd say, yeah, that's right. Look at Ken. He, he sins every day. And I'd say, that, that's right. I mean, everything that Satan would say about me would most likely be true. He's going to prosecute me for who I am. And he will you as well. So, even into our future, Satan will pursue us and Satan will prosecute us. But now let's look at this third relationship. Our father... <coughs> Our father in the future. And when I say our father, I'm not talking about our earthly father. Thank God I had a good father. Uh, last week was 10 years since he died. I had a good father. Was he a perfect father? <laughs> I could tell you stories about my daddy. He was a long ways from perfect. But he loved God. Tried to raise us right. Tried to do what was right. So I'm not talking about that father, but I'm talking about our heavenly father. Our, our heavenly father in his relationship to the future. First of all, in verse 8, he knows our faith. Look, look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. 
God knew the faith of Job. Job did not have to tell him how much faith he had. God knew how much faith he had. Sometimes you'll encounter people who try to tell you how good they are and how much they know and how great they are and how faithful they are. Well, we don't have to tell God that. He already knows if we are or aren't. I've said this many times. I'm sure I've said it here that when I see businesses advertising on TV or in print or whatever, and one of the first things they say is we are a Christian business, I, I usually step back. You should not have to tell me that you are a Christian business. I should know from your business practices that you are a Christian business. I'm the same way with politicians. I, I, I step back from many politicians who talk about their faith. Athletes, oh my gracious. You, you, you hear athletes all the time talking about their faith, and then you look at their lifestyle, and it's like, somehow this, this doesn't match up. Well, we, we don't have to tell God about our faith. God already knows our faith. He, he knew Job's faith. That's the reason he spoke to Satan and said, Have you considered my servant Job? He knew the faith that Job had. Our Father also knows our foe. I've already mentioned the foe, Satan. Well, God knows him. We, we really don't think about the fact that God knows Satan. They, they communicated. They had a conversation together. Nothing that Satan said to God surprised God. God already knew Satan, already knew that he was a liar and the father of lies. He already knew that Satan was full of pride that had to be cast down out of heaven. He, he already knew how deceitful that, that Satan was. He already knew that he was walking the earth seeking to, to devour people. God already knew all of that about our foe. He knew his purpose. He knew his power. And here's the thing you need to know about God knowing Satan's power. Satan's power is limited. Satan could only do to Job what God gave permission for Satan to do. No more, no less. First of all, it seemed like he had blessed Job and nothing bad had come into his life. But then when Satan came to him and made accusations against Job, then God did remove that hedge of protection and said, you can do these things, but what did he say you couldn't do? You can't take his life. You can try him. You, you can put him to the test. But you can't cross this line. I'm only giving you permission for this and not for that. We can rest assured that when Satan brings attacks against us, God is aware of it. And Satan had to get permission to do so. Now, I can't fully explain all of this. 
there's no one else who can fully explain all of this either. When it comes to this issue of good and evil. But I believe that every bad thing that comes into my life, God is already aware of it before it ever comes. And I believe that God could have prevented it if God had seen fit to. Kenneth Ridings, my homiletics professor in Fruitland years ago, believed this, and he preached this over and over and over, that a man could hold a gun to his head and pull the trigger. But if it was not in God's timing for him to die, he would not die. God knows our foe, knows what he wants to do to us, but has limited his power to only what God allows to happen. Our Father in the future concludes with this. He knows our future. And I never had really thought of it until I was working on this. In verse 8, when, when he said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He already knew how Job was going to respond. He was not taking a shot in the dark. He was not gambling on what Job would do. He was not sitting in heaven with his fingers crossed, hoping that Job would do right. He, he was not fretting over Job's response. God already knew Job's future. He already knew what Satan was going to do. And he already knew how that Job was going to respond. And he already knew what the outcome would be in Job's life. Wow. And so it is with us. God knows our future. I've often said, it's probably better that I don't know my future than to know my future. If you knew what tomorrow was going to bring to you, would there be a slight possibility you would worry yourself sick before tomorrow got here? If you knew that you were going to have a major heart attack in three weeks, would you probably worry yourself so much you'd have a heart attack before three weeks? We, we talk like we want to know the future. I am content just to place my future in God's hands. He knows my faith. He knows my foe. And he knows my future. I can't go wrong just trusting in Him. None of us know what the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade, or the next century will bring. Like I said about Y2K, all the predictions were mass chaos. And nothing happened of any consequences. Because we just can't know the future. In the end, we have no clue what tomorrow is going to bring. I, I don't know what today's going to bring. 
I don't know what phone call I might, I don't know what text I might get. I don't know what may befall me. I, I don't know. It sounds scary. But if you got faith, it's not. You trust God. And the old saying is this. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. Everybody in here could lose their job. Everybody in here could die. Everybody in here could have COVID. Man, that's a great thought. <laughs> we, we, we just don't know. But I know who holds tomorrow. And whatever comes, it has filtered through God. And at the end, Job was blessed for all that he went through. And may I say, not only was Job blessed, but in the year 2024, we are blessed because of what Job went through. How many times have you made reference to Job? The faith of Job, the patience of Job. People talk about Job all the time. What if Job had never gone through what he went through? We wouldn't know Job. And we would not have his example to give us hope for tomorrow. God uses bad things in our lives to encourage other people if we let him. God used some of the most traumatic events known to man in Job's life to bring blessing to him in the end, but also to bless generation after generation after him as we reflect upon how God provided I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what the next minute's going to bring. But I know God's got it. We're all facing the future, every one of us. The question is, is our faith where it needs to be in God? Would you stand with your heads bowed?